You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Hey, welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 530 for September 16th, 2020. On today's show, guitarist Lenny Stern. As you know, this show is only able to exist because listeners become members. You know, I say this a lot, and maybe you're tired of it, but I feel like I need to keep saying it until people start joining in large numbers. (laughs) I mean, that's really where it comes down to. After 13 years, this show has fewer than 50 members, and uh, I'm not sure if that means I should just stop making it or what the deal is, but in any case, I would really love it if you would join, and it kind of a now more than ever thing as I prepare to uh, set off on the road and live in a van and interview people all over the country, it would really be lovely if you would step up. Uh, I know for many of us, these are very hard times. If you're a musician listening, you've probably lost all your work. I totally get it, and you're not who I'm talking to, but if you are hearing my voice right now, and you're one of those folks who could afford five bucks for an entire month of this show, which gets you four, five, well, four bonus episodes at five bucks and five bonus episodes at ten bucks, plus the regular four bonus ep- or regular four episodes. You know what I'm talking about, even though I can't say it. Anyway, if you're one of those people, I would love it if you would go to thejazzsession.com/slash/join and become a member today. I really need your help. Thejazzsession.com/slash/join. Here's music from Lenny Stern's fabulous new record, Four. Stern, welcome to the jazz session. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it is uh, it is my pleasure. We're going to talk primarily, I guess, about uh, Four, which is your most recent record that just came out. And this was a record that was so up my alley, it's not even funny, because um, when I was a teenager... Really? Yeah, I uh, when I was a teenager, I was really into Peter Gabriel. This was in the 80s. And... Uh, when In Your Eyes was a big hit, You So Endure sang on the end of it. And that was the very first time in my life right. that I had ever heard any West African music at all. I didn't knew nothing about it. So when I, I lived in Japan for a long time, and um, when I first moved there, I went into a record store, and there was a whole wall of like You So Endure and uh, Salif Keita and all these cool people. And I didn't know who any of them were except You So Endure from the Peter Gabriel record. So I just started randomly buying records. And I totally fell in love with uh, particularly music from Senegal and Mali. So then four comes out 
and it is an album of your playing, which first of all is fabulous, and then it is inspired Thank by you. and features <laughs> musicians uh, who represent you know that. Uh, that part of uh, African music that I have most kind of connected okay. with. And so I just totally fell in love with it from the first listen. I think it's Oh, I'm fabulous. so glad. I mean, the same thing happened to me. I was introduced to Yusun uh, Dwupa, Peter Gabriel as well. Fell in love with it instantly. It's like, what is that voice and what is he doing? You know, the whole call and response yeah. like in jazz and blues, we always hear about and we never get a totally satisfactory explanation as well as the swing in, in, in jazz rhythms. They always say like, well, yeah, it comes from Africa. And that's the end of the explanation. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's a box in Africa somewhere labeled swing and that and that's where it <laughs> that's where it came from. <laughs> that, open the box, out comes swing. <laughs> out comes swing. So when you when you wanted to dig deeper into that music, can you talk about what you did and kind of how you got further and further into learning about the music? Well, you know, as a traveling jazz musician, one of the great things about being a jazz musician is that you get invited to the whole world. And not just as a tourist, you become part of the culture because you're invited. I was invited to perform at the festival in the desert in Mali. And that was, you know, I'm a big fan of Bonnie Wade, and she had gone there and played and and because she was at the search of the roots of the blues i think that was the whole big thing and she performed at the festival and then she talked about where the blues came from africa and all of that so uh, after reading that and hearing her 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 musical uh, explanation of how this all came together with the blues and she's my favorite blues singer um maybe my favorite singer at all. I always had sort of on my bucket list a festival in the desert where I wanted to play. It was also the most outrageous thing. You drive on like a truck three hours from the latest um, town into straight into the Sahara Desert to a Tuareg uh, outpost, which is oh, where wow. the Tuaregs meet every year to uh, Esakan. It's called it in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And, you know, to the foreign eye, Esakan is just like another dune in the sand. It's like, right. what do you mean? This is Esakan. Mm-hmm. How come over there it's not Esakan? Looks just the same to me. <laughs> but, you know, they have like the way of reading the sky and, and, and you know, they they guide this, the, these uh, camels through the desert since the beginning of time. You know, the whole uh, traffic of, of goods into Europe happened on these caravans. And, and Esakan is is the meeting point of the yearly meeting point of the Tuaregs. And it became a festival that had a, a significant part in the peace uh, with the Tuaregs and the Malians. The French had made one country out of uh, the north and the south of Mali, and those people don't get along. It's like as if you force the French and the English in Europe to be in one country. That wouldn't go over that well easy. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's like just different people. The tourists used to have Bambara slaves. The Bambaras have not forgiven it. They're just two different cultures. But in order to sign their peace deal, they burned all their guns and weapons and started this festival of peace and music. And that was the festival in the desert in Esakan. And it, I came there like on its like 15th year so long. And it has continued to be a festival of peace. So it was both a political statement and, and also an artistic statement to follow all these great artists that had played at that festival and performed there. And I 
since it's like four hours into the Sahara Desert, three or four hours into the Sahara, depending on what kind of car you have and how often you break down, you are there for four days and you meet and you're only among African artists. They make a policy out of having like two or three Westerners and the rest is people from all over Africa. And I was immersed in African rhythms and African culture and, and make Basuku Kuyati and his wife Amisaku and the Goni and I um, fell in love with the sound of that instrument because that seemed what you know Bonnie Wade had been talking about the sources of the blues that instrument plays the blues by itself I swear to God when you pick it up it just plays the blues started getting more interested in it. And upon my return from the festival, um, I stayed in the same hotel as Salif Keita, a sound engineer. And they had a project together with the UNESCO that uh, recruited the best sound engineer from Africa. And uh, both Universal France and UNESCO had donated a scholarship so that uh, I think it was three engineers would be trained in the studio that Salif had in Mali and in the French studio where he recorded by a French uh, engineer, Jean Lamotte was his name. He was like a big French pop guy. But they had forgotten to write a band into the project. So the engineer asked me, recognized me in the hotel and asked if I would come and play. So we recruited all my friends that I had met at the fest- festival, Basile Kuyati, Haruna Simake, and we recorded at Salif's studio, and that's how I met Salif. And that record, um, I took that back to New York and Mike Brecker, Mike Stern, my husband, many other people played on it. And we made a little single for, uh, actually it's an EP that we donated to the UNESCO and all the benefits would go to that program. And then the response here in America was so great to this little project that I decided to go back to some studio and finish a whole, a whole record there. And that was called Africa. That was the first of my African records. I, you know, I ended up playing in Salif's band and I played with Tumani Jabati, I played with Baba Mal back to Senegal, you know, whom I met again in Mali on TV with Ami Sako. So I was, I just became part of the music scene in West Africa. I was welcomed there and I was super honored and super happy that things took that turn from like a simple UNESCO recording. It like went into 10 years of musical exchanges in Africa. There was a little pause when there was coup d'etat in Mali and I actually made a record during that coup d'etat because I was there anyway. So what was I going to do? The airport was closed. So we recorded a record there called Smoke No Fire. (laughs) But after that, my husband kind of was not happy. You know, what happened is that 
the German embassy called my husband and said, don't worry, we know where your wife is. Uh, uh, we're going to make sure that she said he hadn't even heard that there was a coup d'etat because America is not so interested in what happens in sure. Africa. And he slipped out and said, I'm coming. And I said, you can't come. The borders are closed. He said, <laughs> They said, they'll let me in. I said, no, they're not going to let you in. There's no planes coming. They said, okay, then you get out. Get a car and drive to the border. I said, in the borders are closed all around. <laughs> so after that little escapade, he was not into having me go to Mali. But um, since I, you know, I had started performing that music I recorded in Africa, here in New York, because I'm, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I lived here. And I had put together a band of expats. So um, that's how I found Mama Duba and then Alun Fai. In the first Africa, there was Jakoba Sisoko, uh, um, a chorus player whose brother I knew from Mali, and Brahim Fritgain from Morocco who played oud. And there's a whole collection of expats, uh, North and West Africans, that um, helped me create that sound here. Um, Surplus here in, in, in New York. And then we got back to Senegal uh, that seemed fairly safe to my husband. And uh, I started recording in Senegal. And I made Dakar Street. I recorded Dakar Street in Senegal. And I flew my I flew my Malian team to Senegal. My my Salif's engineer, Abu Sisse, who's been my engineer for many years, and he um, he came to Dakar and recorded in a studio in Dakar. A quick break to remind you that this show is member supported. It's the only way I'm able to continue making it. And that is going to be more true than ever once I'm out on the road in the van, which is happening pretty soon. So please help support this project at the jazzsession.com slash join. Once again, that's the jazzsession.com slash join. Now back to the episode. So you've mentioned Mamadou and Aliou, who are have been members of your band uh, now for years. And on this new record, okay, you've, you've also added a fourth member. Will you talk about that? Leo Genovese. You know, I've always had a sort of a, um, a love for South American music. Uh, that was actually the first African rhythms I heard via Brazil and Argentina and Colombia. That was the first, you know, rhythmic jazz music that, that I liked because, you know, the, the, the Latin music was a big explosion here. Cuban music was like jazz plus Africa, you know. Um, and I always enjoyed this rich harmonic texture and this sort of, uh, you know, as a German musician, the way, the reckless way these people modulate <laughs> Fabulous. From key to key, and, uh, and I've always enjoyed that sort of savagery in harmony. And, and Leo is just one of its best performances. And I, I, I had been friends with uh, with Leo uh, for a while before he joined the band. He came, often came to sit in with us because I'm friends with Esperanza Spalling. I, I played on one of her, I sang on one of her records, and we and she played on mine. And we've been good friends ever since. And 
she played piano in her band and actually a few people from her band did come to sit in because we kind of have a steady, we had before the pandemic, a steady show at the 55 bar in New York and people knew that we were there every Tuesday. So on Tuesdays they would come and it would be like a big reunion. Everybody would sit in and would catch up, you know. So that's how I finally got to play with Leo and then Esperanza put a new band together and Leo's time was more free. Also now I, I share him with the Residente, which is one of the biggest Puerto Rican rap stars. Uh, <laughs> it's maybe even worse than Esperanza in terms of trying to schedule anything. Um, but we have managed to, uh, to tour together. We went to Africa together. We went to South America. We went to Argentina together. And, and he has become... Um, a member of our band. So we've added this sort of wealth of reckless harmony from South America to the sophisticated rhythms of Africa. I know you've been doing it for a long time now, but if you if you kind of think back to your playing before you first uh, went to Africa and before you kind of delved into this music so deeply, do you notice changes in your playing uh, or have you have you had to mold your playing in any way to what you're doing with this particular music as an inspiration? I've totally noticed changes in my playing. I mean, I sort of got my rhythmic education in Africa. And, you know, to South America, I just want to say one thing. My first guitar teacher when I was a little girl was from Argentina. So that's where my relationship with South America started. I started with Roberto Vitre who's an Argentinian guitar player, and he introduced me, aside from just playing guitar, to the music of South America and the rhythms of South America. So there, we have a very long history, me and South America. But my playing completely changed because, you know, we do um, clinics now, we did uh, uh, all over the world to, to teach rhythm because, you know, we don't study enough rhythm when we study jazz. And, and uh, you know, the thing that it ends with, the spring came from Africa. That's about the end of the instructions. And we all know a, a T4 and a 4-4 four four and uh, a 6-8. And straight edge and swinging. That's the end. And in Africa, there are hundreds and hundreds of rhythms. So I have studied this. I started playing percussion and I have uh, studied it with the same dedication that I studied counterpoint when I was a young German composer. And it's just about as challenging as that. Uh, it'll drive you bananas because it's so <laughs> sophisticated and, and, uh, and layered and it takes such patience to, to master it. And I, every time I take a class, I feel like I'm just at the beginning, you know, which is kind of how I used to feel when I studied um, Bach and the, the, the theory of counterpoint. Like, will I ever learn to negotiate four voices <laughs> going every which way? <laughs> I, I think that's kind of you know? cool that, I mean, you, you have had a storied and, you know, long career, and to be able to be in a place where you feel like you're still at the beginning of something seems like actually kind of a precious gift to receive. Like, here's a whole new thing for me to now become conversant in. That seems like a pretty great place to be. I'm going to ha try to look at it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, it, I if it's terrible, that's fine, too. You can be honest. <laughs> you know, 
it, no, it's it's wonderful. It is wonderful. It is wonderful. It's very very challenging. We've just had our new. Uh, project we featured the music of Casamos. You know what Casamos is it's in Senegal? It's like south. Yeah. After Gambia is Casamos. So they have a, a specific uh, rhythmic tradition. They are different people. You know, there's like so many people in what the French like clavered together as one. There's like empires. <laughs> Just like it's now um, France. I mean, Senegal. We call this Senegal. And they, you know, they just sat and got drunk and do a line on a map. Right. But anyway, the, the Casamance region has the most sophisticated 12-8 and 6-8 rhythms. And we've recently sort of, somehow our new compositions have all ended up in Casamance. And, and, and it's a very, it's a very difficult area of African rhythms that have ended with that. Um, very, very beautiful, very beautiful because they have, you know, they carry their drums around uh, it's like a belt with five or six drums, small drums, and they're tuned. So it's it's really really cool. You can imitate that sound with your guitar, and it's very it's very very difficult. It's like transcribing John Coltrane solos in level of difficulty. But you know you're totally right. It is when a step back from the daily devotion and education that it takes to learn all of that. And when I feel like at my age, I should put my feet up and eat bonbons on the couch <laughs> <laughs> and listen to the latest blue note remastering of my famous. <laughs> when I converse with my students, I'm sitting here looking at this drum and trying to figure out how you can play three and two at the same time. And you're one person. Ah, <laughs> uh, That's a better way to live, I think. <laughs> I think you've got it right. I guess you've got so. It right. I think that it is better. It is better. And it's it's very difficult. You know, it never like ceases to amaze me how racism has led people to believe that there is nothing to it. And then they try to play it and they get nowhere. They're right. all flat on their faces, I think. Or the simple music. <laughs> they can't find a downbeat if their life depended on it. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very sophisticated, you know, like hold through empires and courts and uh, and it's the language I learned how to speak Wolof and Bambara, you know, so that you can understand what's going on. Let's take a quick second to thank the folks who make this show possible, starting, as always, with the members who support it, and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music, and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at Jazz Sesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to stay up to date with what I'm doing in terms of van life, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. You'll find it at thejazzsession.com. Just click on the newsletter link. You can also follow The Van Project and the YouTube channel at Vanarchism on Instagram and vanarchism.com slash YouTube to see all the videos. Now, back to the episode.
you know, I remember uh, to take a brief step back uh, to the 80s. The uh, Besides hearing uh, Yusu Endure on Peter Gabriel's records, I also remember hearing West African guitarists who would show up on the occasional pop record, uh, you know, folks like Paul Simon, David Byrne. And, uh, you know, this was kind of before I had listened to any of this music on its own terms. But I just remember thinking that I had never heard guitar played that way, the kind of the way the both the rhythms and the kind of arpeggiation that uses those rhythms were played. I had just and never heard And the damping of the strings. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember that. I always, it was always my favorite, and I could not figure it out. And the reason I couldn't figure it out is because I wasn't aware of the rhythmic structure behind it. Because in an African band, the guitar is really part of the rhythm section. It's like they go with the percussion, and you have your place in there. And, and it's a guitar section. It's like a percussion section. And and I I just heard that stuff on it, like on Peter Gabriel's like I said, like, whoa, Jimmy and is my favorite. But I didn't understand why he did what he did. I could imitate the sound, but actually, you know, the sound of that African guitar is actually they're imitating the goni. Because when I started playing ngoni, I realized that that was that sound. It's like a muted but resonant sound. And the like, Moni is kind of like, like a banjo? It's kind of like a banjo, yeah, but it has no fret. Okay. Basiku Kuyate is the most famous modern Goni player. He modernized the Goni and took it into pop music and into uh, into world music. And he like uh, has a band called Ngoni Ba where there's four Goni players. Like It's like a string quartet. They have bass. Uh, tenor, alto, and soprano. You know, it's like a horn section in a big band. You, know? um, you should check it out. Nguni Bai is one of the best bands in the world. It's amazing. And you started playing that instrument yourself, right? Yeah, I started playing that instrument myself. It's You know, when you're a guitar player, it's not that hard because it's the same thing. You fret with your left hand and you play the strings with your right hand. And I, I had played... You know, when I was a little girl, my mother was hoping for a classical young guitar player and she stuck me in classical guitar lessons. So I have a little bit of ability with my fingers and that's what it takes for the for the goni with the hands. Okay. Um, and um, I, I tried the Camilla goni, which is one of the hunter's harp, was one of my favorites. But plucking with my left hand is very difficult for me. I would have had to start in the beginning. But when you're a guitar player, you can play goni pretty easy. It's like sort of, you know how a lot of like natural guitar players, they double on, on banjo or tiple or other, other kind of guitars? Sure. You just have to basically learn the, the, the new tuning. It's like kind of playing like a guitar in an open tuning. And then you have to sort of make the frets. But, you know, if the frets are really there, if you painted them on, it's not that different. You know, fretless bass players, they have the line where the bass is, and that's really all you need. And so when... When you're playing that instrument, are you in a different role than when you're playing the guitar? If you're playing it traditionally, I guess are you are you still in this more of a percussion role? Is that correct or no? No, I've sort of followed in Basaku's footsteps in at taking the goni with his encouragement. And I've taken the goni. I do like two two note voicings on it, and I I play the traditional way. Um, you know, but but let me not. Uh, be misunderstood in the goni is part of the percussion world. It plays melodies, but its rhythmic content is very precise. There is no meandering. Okay. It's as precise as a percussion instrument. 
it has an incredible importance to the, you know, uh, rhythmic houses that you build. With the Goni, which then went into funk guitar and uh, into American roots music, you know, that, that all comes from there. Just step away from the record for a minute, um, just because we are recording this in the midst of uh, the pandemic, and it's a topic that has come up on this show a lot. But um, you're uh, one of the first people to mention that there are at least some uh, gigs coming back in New York, outdoor gigs. And before we were recording, you were mentioning that, and I was hoping you might just say a few words about that. What? How is it working? What kind of areas are you playing? That kind. Of thing? Well, you know, we can't have a lot of people conglomerate. So the big outdoor concerts are, for the most part, not happening. But on the stoops of the houses, there is the small concerts, like um, the big, like the small jazz clubs that used to be all over New York. So that's happening in, in Manhattan on the Lower East Side and in the parks. People are just uh, setting up and starting to play it, and audience gathers and enjoys the, enjoys the music. It's sort of like a back to what New York was like in the 50s. And you hear great music outdoors all day long and all into the evening. Uh, that sounds really wonderful. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> it is wonderful because, you see, all the people that were playing at Lincoln Center, you now find them playing um, in Tompkins Square Park. <laughs> It's ah, that's awesome. Great. It's really good. And people come by and people love it. You know, after the pandemic and being isolated, you know, we just put some chairs up on the sidewalk and we put masks and hand sanitizer out and we ask people to be uh, reasonable so that we can keep doing this. And, and they comply. Um, we have an array of the most fashionable silk masks. <laughs> My band calls them the panties. <laughs> That's fabulous. Uh, please put these panties on so we can play music for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. And people do, and it's you know, people really need music in times like that. Everybody's life has been completely upended, and it's a daily source of stress. Not to speak of what is happening with Black Lives Matter. I mean, the way this president has incited violence 
to give himself a better chance at winning the election is just uncomfortable and horrible. I see it in the black community. I, uh, I might be the first one shot jumping in the middle of these. Like people are just entitled all of a sudden to take out the worst racist behavior and parade it on the street. It's horrible. Yeah. And people need a reprieve. People need uh, strength coming from the artistic community and they need us to stand up and play music in the face of it all. So you're not going to scare us. We're going to just play the blues. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't really agree more. It's important and... to have music in these times where there's nothing but hate and disappointment. Yeah, it's a good reminder that... And to celebrate black music, celebrate African tradition, uh, honor the people that we say are less than us, less than us. You try and play one of those African books, and then you tell me that you're smarter than they are. I want to see that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, as, you're, as you're looking ahead uh, to the future, I this is a tough time to predict what the future might look like, but uh, is there anything on the horizon that uh, you're thinking of project-wise or otherwise? Yes, there is. We are like, uh, you know, we're taking the pandemic to just, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're venturing into Casamance and we have been rehearsing new songs and we're thinking of uh, of starting to record again and put out some singles with our uh, with our new work that blossomed in the quarantine and um, prepare for um, new adventures in 2021. Some of our concerts that were cancelled were simply postponed a year so we're hoping to go back to Europe to go back to Africa uh, as soon as it is safe to do so and in the meantime we're going to just uh, entertain our fellow New Yorkers on the porches uh, in parks of the city and and try to uh, encourage hope you know it's very important in this time to just uh, not get depressed and to just see that there is going to be an end to this uh, and that's a beautiful place to uh, to wrap it up. My guest has been Lenny Stern. Her most recent record, uh, which just came out very recently, is called Four. It is fabulous, and uh, you should definitely check it out. And all of the, well, I was going to say all of her previous records. That will take you a while, but you should also do that. But particularly the uh, the records with <laughs> with this band that uh, she's playing with now, which is really fabulous. Lenny, it's been such an honor to talk to you. I, I'm so uh, happy that you took the time, and I wish you all the best uh, going forward. Thank you so much. This has been fabulous. I really love talking to you. And thanks to all your listeners. Thank you for listening to the music. If you value what you just heard, I cannot stress enough that you become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to this week's guest, Lenny Stern. I hope you'll come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session.
Everybody.